0: This week on Kettle of Fish, shock artist and sideshow performer Darren Malphy stops by to talk about living dangerously.
1: Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic like acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. All righty. Welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show where we chat with actors, comedians, artists, scientists, musicians, magicians, and models about life, love, and the creative process. I am your seafaring podcasting captain of the internet airwaves, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, broadcasting to you, as always, from the very top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my death-defying, skydiving, power-driving producer, the zip-tie to my torso, the rubber band to my bare neck, the industrial staple to my nutsack, (laughs) the not-so-dangerous maven.
0: Yes. You know, although, so I could probably pile-drive you pretty easily, because everybody who ever listens, everybody who ever listens knows I could kick his ass. Um, That's just the way it is and but i still haven't been skydiving i i wanted to go until we went to uh this indoor playground-y type place and they have like an indoor ropes course with like the zipline and shit and i didn't realize just how strong my fear of heights was until i was up there and my hands were raw from gripping these ropes like i know they're gonna hold me but fuck that this is high like
1: (laughs) well let me tell you skydiving sucks I mean, I and it's weird to hear me say that. And my brother went first. He went like two mm-hmm. weeks before me with a group of our friends, and he said it sucked. I was like, What are you talking about? Everybody always told me it was like this amazing, intense, life-altering right. like experience. But then I went and it was just this like manic sense of you can't hear, you can't know you can't sense direction, see up from down. And I went, um, tandem, I was tied with somebody. But it's just like this crazy assault on all your senses, and then that shoot gets pulled. And you just go from to just calm. And it was that juxtaposition of like this total manic state to this complete serene state that gave me a fucking panic attack. And it's crazy because when we landed, there was nine of us that went and we jumped out in threes. So the guy comes out to hand out their certificates and he calls everybody's name. He's like Jen Flynn, Brad Cage and he called everybody's name but mine. And my And my sick paranoid mind was like, what if I died? What if I died? And the reason they're not calling my name is because I died. And I'm actually dead right now. I mean, that was like the backstory in my fucking head. And I was like, um, um, excuse me, sir. Uh, didn't I go too? He's like, oh yeah, here's yours. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm still alive. But it really fucked with my head when I did that. D we're switching off of live. Where can yes. everybody find us online? Of
0: course. Uh, just in case somehow you haven't found our website, it's www.tincan.media. That's it. That's that's all you got to type in tincan.media. So
1: tincanmedia.com, right?
0: No. Just tincan.media. Push the enter key. Poof, you're there. Also, you can find us on Castbox FM, which is castbox.fm. There's a lovely app. We're on there and uh on iTunes, of course.
1: All right, cool. Let me get Fern in here because I got one more thing to say before we get Darren in here. And a girl who lives in a sideshow, drinks in a freak show, and fights against our reality show president. Fern, a moist <laughs> voice hard.
2: Oh, my God. Once again, nail right on the head, dude. But I do have to say today I started my day a little differently on a Sunday than I normally do, which was not hungover because normally I am hungover on a Sunday. Um, and I got out, I cleaned my pool, I'm becoming an aquatics, uh, aerobics exercise freak, so I did a little workout this morning, and rest assured, now I'm drinking my Mick Ultra and ready to have a great show.
1: Fair enough, and before we get our guests in here today, this is the first time all three of us have been on air together on a regular scheduled show. I want to take a moment to mention the passing of one of our friends, Margot Kidder, um, very sad she passed away. I think it's been about three weeks now. Even sadder, I kind of put her in my mind, especially growing up watching the two of them, of uh, her and Carrie Fisher kind of on the same level as far as relevance and cultural impact. And I was really sad to see that she didn't get one-tenth of the coverage that Carrie Fisher, and I get Star Wars, so like, I understand that. But it really made me sad that Margot didn't get a lot of coverage when she passed. Right. She kind of went out with a whisper and that that really kind of upset me.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean she actually as a as a young girl meant more to me than Princess Leia did. At least at least Lois Lane's character was had a more of an impact on me because I mean they were both very strong independent women but you know, Lois Lane to me showed that women can be powerful. They can be intelligent. They can be career women. They can have their love life, They can be tender. I mean, she encompassed everything that a good human but being. But did
1: she could know be. how to talk to droids? I think that's the deal breaker, right?
2: I mean, you know, there's that, but you got to consider, she cheated death when Superman spun the world backwards to save her from the earthquake, and she got to fly, man. Like, talk about a tandem jump. She had a tandem fly. Like, that was pretty cool. Plus, she got to go visit the fortress, man. So, like, I don't know, space travel and droids versus that, I mean, I'd say that's pretty even as far as the awesome level.
1: I don't know if I would fly around the world backwards a million times to save D. I
2: think you would, but she just, you know, I don't know if I have that that. energy level that the
1: man of steel has. But yeah, I did (laughs) want to take a moment out to um, mention the passing, how much we're going to miss Margot. She was an exceptional woman and a fighter to the end, dude. Most people, you know, especially when they retire from the entertainment world and they probably got a good bit of money in the bank. They just kind of kicked back and enjoyed her golden years, and she was out on the front lines at Standing Rock fighting to the very end. She had a lot of spunk and a lot of courage, so we're going to miss her deeply.
2: An amazing humanitarian and a great activist.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll do a tribute show if we can get it together. Our schedules are so crazy during the summer, but hopefully we'll be able to get some time together to get a tribute show together for her.
0: Absolutely. That'd be great.
1: Oh, I totally brought down the mood. All right, Dee, who <laughs> do we have on
0: today? <laughs> I will bring it right back now up. Now let's
1: talk about stapling your nutsacks to your leg. Yeah. That's not a weird shift.
0: So uh, it's one of those things where you really should watch your Google images when you first do it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I know the pain of stapling something to yourself on accident. So I can't imagine walking around and just encouraging people to staple dollar bills to your chest willy-nilly but that is what today's guest has been known to do along with putting things in different orifices and And you know how much i love
1: vaudeville alice cooper pt barnum is one of my heroes so this cat is right up my alley
0: oh yeah absolutely so i i just i can't even describe today we have
3: dangerous g darren malfe Hi. All right. What's happening? What's happening? How we doing?
1: Good, man. Good. Um, I want to thank you for calling into the show on this Sunday. I got to tell you, I'm having a hard time even knowing where to begin. There is so much that you do, and your world is so fucking fascinating to me. It, it's hard to even know where to start digging in with you. You are a very fascinating person.
3: I appreciate that, thanks Most people just call me an idiot, but, you know, that, that works <laughs> Oh
1: no, you're not a one-trick pony You have so much going on And I guess I'm going to start with this Because this was my first thought When I really went down that Dangerous D rabbit hole And you kind of answered this um, during the intro part Is there anything that you won't do? In other words, have you ever personally had an idea for a stunt And then thought to yourself, this is either too dangerous Or it's so over the top, the audience won't accept it or are you just totally no limits and you're all in when it comes to your act?
3: I'm, you know what? I'm pretty much all in. Honestly, though, my my big issues are, like I said, heights and snakes. Which I started doing sideshow and then found out that I had issues with that. Um, as far as the heights thing, it was kind of like, uh, like a long story short, I was doing uh, I was doing a gig in Vegas and uh, a couple of the guys that booked me, it was like this huge corporate event and um, the the hotel that we were performing at. They had, like, a, a bungee jump thing, like, attached to the, the rooftop. Right. So everybody afterwards are like, hey, let's grab a drink. We'll go up, and uh, all the performers, you can bungee jump free. So I was ready to do it. I start crawling up this ladder, and I'm, like, getting a little, like, you know, a little vertigo, a little, like, what the fuck's going on here? Get up to the top. They strap me up. I'm nervous as hell, and I'm just figuring it's, like, regular nerves. They kind of push me to, like, the edge, and they're like, all right, you know, we're going to count down from five, and then you're going to go. I locked the fuck up. I grabbed like I literally the guy that was so like supposed to be watching me and strapped me in, I grabbed onto him with one hand and the other hand I grabbed like the side of the rail and I literally froze. And Holy shit. Have you never been in a position like that before? No, and you know what's weird is like growing up in in Baltimore and like Maryland and stuff, we used to swim a lot. We used to jump off of cliffs. We used to, you know, jump off of double docks and stuff like that. And it never was really an issue um until like you know, maybe like five or six years ago. And when I did this bungee thing and the, the fucked up part was they, everyone was like teasing me. They're like, Oh, dangerous D and you won't even jump off of this. And I, I was so nervous and so scared and I froze and locked up that I couldn't even step away from it. Like I couldn't even get down. I was, I had to literally lay down onto the platform on like my belly and like belly crawl down the ladder and get back off. And Holy fuck. It, yeah. And like to this day, my friends, they call me safety D instead of dangerous. <laughs> it's just, you yeah, know, was, the- those things where that- I was like, the fuck that's crazy
2: guys have hit on like the two things that i won't do already like i mean literally we're not even 10 minutes in and already you guys have hit on skydiving because why jump out of a perfectly good friggin airplane i mean that's just not going to happen and bungee jumping the best no, but,
1: part about skydiving is bragging about it. I hated the experience, but we went to Fud Rockers after and I was like, So what do you have for people who jump out of planes? I was acting all fucking top gun and shit. The best part is bragging about it. That's the only good part of skydiving.
2: Yeah, right. but I mean, as far as adrenaline goes, I love roller coasters. I'm a downhill skier. I will you know, the the ski lift is not my my big thing. I'm not big on heights, but I love roller coasters, downhill skiing, like I'll jump off cliffs and things like that into water where I know it's like wicked deep. But skydiving and bungee jumping, I just man, no, I don't. I don't think I, maybe it's my age. Maybe ten years ago I might have, but holy shit, no, I, I just can't do it.
3: Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's a, a weird situation with me. And I don't know, maybe it's just like when you you know you get older and stuff. When I was a kid, you know adrenaline junkie and I would kind of like do whatever I mean even now like the same thing how you said I have a, a couple buddies that skydive and they've been trying to get me out and it's just uh, I keep teasing them over and over it'll never happen you know maybe years ago it would have but I, like I said I never was in a position where I found out what was going on but the same thing we'll sit around my homies and we're like drinking and talking and they're like oh you know like I said I shot out of this thing and we did like a five person you know trick where we all hooked up and we did this and I was like dude yesterday I set my balls on fire and jumped in front of a Mack truck you want to come
1: you know, but like, even Fonzie's afraid of liver. Everybody has their kryptonite, right?
3: Right, yeah, exactly. And it keeps her stuff interesting, you know what I mean? Keeps the uh, keeps it interesting. But as far as the things that I do, honestly, like, I'll push the envelope, and I've done – and that's really kind of – not to snowball into it, but that's kind of like how Living Dangerously started, where um, I was just getting into Sideshow, and I was just trying shit. Like, I didn't really – Learn stuff or go on the internet and read books and do that type of stuff. I just kind of want to develop my own thing. Kind of like when an artist or a musician doesn't listen to music or look at other art because they don't want it to influence their shit. They want to be Right, original. right. It's kind of like one of those things. So I, um, I was in and out of the hospital for like two or three years. I mean, I snorted fucking bleach and almost died. I mean, I did a, a million things trying to figure out stuff yeah. that I could do. You know, getting hit with a stun gun and, you know, all kinds of stuff to figure out what to do on stage that would work. And it got to the point where the more I bled, the more I got hurt, the more dangerous shit was, the more people dug it, and the more I got into it. So uh, there's really, you know, besides uh, wrapping a snake around my neck and petting it and jumping out of a plane, you name it, I'll fucking do it.
1: (laughs) I have to come up with some creative ideas. Well, let me tell you this, man, and this is one of the things I respect about you. I can tell, and a lot of people say it. And I'm sure people have this feeling to certain degrees, but you live for your fucking fans. And let me kind of pull back the curtain here and tell you what I do when I'm researching a show. One of the first things I do is I'll go to people's content and I'll look at the comment threads and I'll see, you know, are people kind of trolling the person, the guest? Are people really like, oh, yeah, I love what you do, blah, blah, blah. And I'll see how the guest interacts with their fans. And I watched every episode. I think there's about 30 episodes of Living Dangerously. I watched every episode and every fucking comment on there you commented back. And that just tells me how much you love your fans, because you just, you didn't let anything go by where you weren't, oh, thanks, man, oh, well, this happened, and in fact, you had even said in one of your comments, yeah, when we did that, when I did that stunt where I snorted the detergent, I went to the emergency room. Like, you're really interactive with them.
3: Yeah, that's actually, it, it, I'm glad you brought that up. That's the most important thing to everything I do, and you being a fan of Sideshow and Vaudeville and stuff like that, the key to all this, and... There's different tiers. There's heavy hitters that like Jim Rose and guys that did this into a mainstream avenue, even Jackass and a couple of those guys. It's like a, a slapstick modern day sideshow. But what it really boils down to, it really doesn't even matter what you do. I know guys that could swallow 50 swords at a time, do cartwheels and, and set their head on fire. But if you don't know how to, A, talk on stage and have a good stage presence, and like you said, you don't connect with the people that are into it. You're really failing at what you're doing. And when I started Sideshow, I started really like busking on the streets of Baltimore and, you know, for like 20 minutes until the cops showed up and then I had to run away or doing small clubs like opening up for my friends' bands and stuff. So it was really like homies and friends that I was doing this for. Once it kind of snowballed, it was one of those things where the people that would come to my show and interested in seeing what I was doing, I was interested in hanging out with them. So it wasn't like this weird rock star thing where like – you know, I'm a performer I'm a guy on stage and through social media, like I'm untouchable. I you know, I it, it invite every single person that I know or anyone that talks to me or gets a hold of me, I open up. I try to I even invite them out when we're shooting and we're filming to have them connect because at the end of the day, if people know you personally or understand who you are, they understand the stuff that I'm doing better. And they understand that I'm not getting up there doing tricks or it's not TV stuff or a facade. They know what it's all about. And really, you know, and it's not like a ploy. It's really how it should be. The whole point of me doing this is entertainment. So whether you're being entertained by me snapping my tongue in a mousetrap, or you're entertained with us hanging out, smoking a doobie, drinking a beer after the show, I'm there to connect with people because I love people. I just love talking. I love getting You deep. cracked the
1: code, man.
3: Uh, yeah, and that's what it's all about. And you really need to, uh, you know, engage because anybody that's willing to, hey, I'm gonna pay to come see you do some dumb shit. Those are cats I want to know and hang out with on a personal level, not just look at them in the audience. You know, it's important. I, dude, I
1: agree 100%. We try to connect with our audience. Even back when I was an Even Steven, I'd write a song about my buddy Pickle you know, just getting drunk and doing stupid shit. And then I had a picture of him throwing up. And this is back before the computer, internet and shit. This is the 90s. I made like 20 copies, and I wrote the lyrics to Pickle on every picture, hand-wrote them, and threw them out to the fucking audience. Yeah. I was real P.T. Barnum on stage. And people used to say, you know, how long have you been a bass player? How long have you been a musician? I said, I'm not. I'm not a musician. I'm a showman. I'm yeah, a performer. Yeah. I, anybody can fucking play a bass. I'm out there throwing fake money in the audience during get rich quick scheme, or like simulating dry humping a blow up doll and doing all this crazy shit because I want people to walk out of an even Steven show, and even if they thought we sucked, to be like, hey, that band sucked last night, but that crazy dude was like humping a blow up doll named Sally Smudge.
3: Exactly, and that's what it is. It's your stage presence, and and like you said, being a showman, and we talk about this all the time. And I, I run. A large traveling circus sideshow called the Dangerous D Shock Show, and I have about 150 freaks—from natural-born freaks, little people, to bearded ladies—to you fr- actually hold the world record on that, right? I did. We did that uh, two years ago at um, at Ozfest. We did. We had um, it was 52, uh, yeah, 53 performers, sideshow performers all performing all at the exact same time on one stage. Wow. It was uh, it was absolutely yeah, it was insane. I mean, it was covered all over the news, and you know, we we broke a bunch of records that that weekend. But what it boils down to is a lot of people, and especially in today's day and age with the younger kids coming in and just trying to be super gnarly and like the more blood and the more hooks and the more stuff you do and the more screaming and cursing you do, the better your show is. But like I said, I've seen guys, you know, you know, pull cars with their mouth or their ears or, you know, or they're piercing through their nose, pull a truck across the street where I can get on stage with a rubber band and crush the show with doing that one little bit because it's connecting with the audience. It's jumping in the audience, touching them and feeling them. A lot of times, if there's a guy in the front row with a top hat or wearing, I'll steal the hat off him. I'll put it on my head. I'll wear it the rest of the show. And then he comes up to me afterwards, and then we're homies. And it's all about the delivery and talking and what you do because, really, like I said, you know, you're doing stuff. And that's the difference between what I do and Jackass. I'm doing really dumb shit to get hurt because it's like, you know, the car accident thing, the train wreck. Everyone that drives by wants to take a look. And it's just. Right human nature for people to look at something odd and weird to say oh my god that's fucking weird so that against it they can define themselves as normal you know it's just a human nature thing but really what it like i said what all comes down to is i rehearse the stuff that i do sometimes it doesn't go the way i want it but i'm up there banging myself up but it's also stand-up comedy and it's a, a rehearsed show and it's scripted out and a lot of it is you know ad lib but for the most part i know what i'm doing and i know how to go about it it's just reading a room and bouncing off of that and giving them exactly what they want and nine times out of ten what they want is for me to drop my pants and staple my ball sack you know that's just (laughs) it always comes full circle that
1: yeah but if you did it on the street like a homeless vagrant, it would be a totally different vibe That showmanship and i'm from the alice cooper (laughs) i grew up fucking worshiping alice cooper and here's a guy who sings 18 and just puts on like a little varsity sweater with a crutch and it changes the whole tone of the audience.
3: Oh, yeah. Just absolutely.
1: that little just that little divot right there just changes everything. And I think people who see that, like yourself, who is a natural showman, you are the cats that, like I said, have cracked the code.
3: Right. And, yeah, and that's so key. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head, too. My influence, too, like growing up, I listened to a lot of different stuff, but I was huge into music. I actually played music, played drums in a bunch of bands before I got into Sideshow. And I was a fan of Alice Cooper, but it was really Marilyn Manson that pulled it over the edge for me because I was kind of like that, that dude in high school with my friends that found out who he was when the first album dropped. And I was like, Hey, you got to check this guy out. Everybody listened to the music and they were like, man, they suck. He, He doesn't, he sucks at singing. I was like, no flip through the booklet inside the fucking album, watch one of their videos, watch this guy. And they were fantastic to watch and look at. So at the end of the day, you got into their music because of how they looked. And that's really the biggest thing, whether you're, Performing yeah, it's a street. package. It's yeah, a whole package. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you have to do and and it's it's really my job to do that, you know. I have a big problem with performers and people that even even musicians they walk on stage like in street clothes wearing, you know, a t-shirt, ripped up t-shirt and slippers and a pair of jeans and you know, they look like, you know, kids from, you know, practicing in a basement. It's like, yeah, I can do that too. But the whole point is people want to come and be entertained. They want to see, hear, smell, feel and touch something that they can't anywhere else. And that's really why I've up the ante a little bit there's no i mean people do sideshow all over the world there is nobody on the planet as of right now that does the stuff that i do in the way that i do them or is as entertaining in this industry as i am you know it's just it's gotten to a point where my fans have supported me i've gotten the right contacts and been on the right events i mean i've toured with rob zombie with ozzy osborne i've done Ozfest, not fest, warped every large event that you could think of. ICP,
1: which I can't even imagine.
3: Yeah, actually I did I did the gathering of the juggalos and at the time I was performing and they didn't realize it. But what I did was me and my homie used to rap a little bit because I was a drummer, so I used to like do like beats and then loop my real my live beats instead of digital. So we rapped a little bit. So just fucking around, when we were there at the gathering, me and my homie we entered the MC contest. We stole a bunch of, like, do-rags, wrapped ourselves all up in rags. We looked like like uh, Rainbow Bright fucking gangsters. And we jumped out on the stage, and we actually won the fucking contest. And Holy then with, shit. It was hilarious. And then afterwards, when Jumpsteady, the guy who was kind of running it, came to, like, give us the money and, like, say, hey, you know, you get to come to the studio and record with us. We pulled the rags off, and he was like... What the fuck, you motherfucker? <laughs> <He's> like, uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah, you didn't know. It was incognito, man.
1: Yeah, but you, I mean, you said it right there. Me and Dee just went to um, Punk and Drublick, I think it was last weekend in Ohio. And Dee is not from the punk world, but I've exposed her to a lot of punk over the years because we're in a relationship. And she loved Pennywise because they were so interactive. And the Descendant is probably a better. Honed band, but during the Descendants. You're like, let's go back to the tent because yeah. you were like, they were playing at me. Yeah, they weren't playing with the audience.
0: Yeah, whereas right. Pennywise was just very like, you know, we we did a very personal to the lead singer. We did a very personal sing along for him because his dad passed away a couple weeks ago. So he's like, hey, I want to dedicate the song. I want everybody to sing along, and it went on and on and on for way longer than I could have imagined. Um, but before that, it was still even like you know, he he pitted the audience sides against each other and who was louder and just, he they really, really made it an event, not just a performance. So I I just
3: loved it. Yeah, it's very rare that a band can do that. I think the only band I've ever seen, and it's kind of like one of my actual favorite sideshow performers, the only band I've ever seen that walked out on stage, never said a word to the audience, never engaged them, never did anything, but still was fantastic, was in the mid-90s, Rage Against the Machine. They came out literally never never even said one word to the audience and i was figured it was going to be like you know all this politically driven shit because of the way zach you know the singer was and stuff they said nothing they came out crushed every song threw their shit on the ground and rolled out and left everybody's head spinning that was the only time but
1: they kind of are a walking political statement so they can almost get away with
3: non-interaction yeah but i figured he was going to be like preaching you know nonsense that you don't want to hear in between sets and you know he didn't say a fucking word they crushed it. it sounded just like the album tonally they were fantastic and they rolled off it's kind of like uh one of my favorite sideshow performers of all time and i think he's he's retired now uh, but his name was uh martin ling the suicide king and this guy was fantastic he would swallow 15 fucking swords he would swallow neons i mean he did i he did everything but he would come out and mime his entire act Never said a word, but he was so theatrical and almost like thezby He was so planted and uh, like a martial artist. Everything he did, every movement was stuck perfectly. He didn't have to say shit. He came out and, and was fantastic. So it's very rare, like you said, you get a, an act that you enjoy or something in that realm of things where uh, they're not falling behind the facade of, hey, we really need to to make this happen because you can tell when it's forced or like you said, when it's natural, like Pennywise was doing one of those cats. It's funny that you you bring up, the Punk and Trouble. Like, I was uh, I was actually supposed to be on that gig with uh with my crew. We were going to do it, but we ended up double booking. And I was stuck in LA doing stuff here. But the guy that runs that event is the guy that puts me on for all the other events that I do, like Sabroso, Musink, Ozfest, Notfest. These uh, it's a, a good buddy of mine named John Reese, and he's just uh, he is a badass man. He really throws some killer events.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that tour could have used you too because it kind of had it had a great vibe to it, but it kind of had an inclusive vibe. And you knew everybody there was kind of from the same world. And I think it having you there would have been really good to give the audience another perspective.
0: And Yeah, you know, we were ready
3: to jump all over it. But well, the, and the I was too.
0: wondering because on the website they had said that there would be sideshow performers. So I kept looking for that and I was like, Well, I guess I guess when, you know, the stuff with Fat Mike happened, I guess it just didn't I was really yeah. disappointed, man. Well,
3: no, yeah, it was that cool. was cool. Supposed to be us. That was supposed yeah. to be us. And then what happened? Was, yeah, when they contact, they basically promoted it was happening because my buddy thought it was. Uh, we had discussed it and it was going to happen. And then when the dates rolled out, I was like, "Shit, I, I, we're already booked those dates." You know, yeah. so uh, it it didn't work. But we're heading back there. Um, I think September. We're gonna do um the uh Lost Lands with Excision. Nice. We'll be doing that uh, at that same spot. So that'll be a fun one.
1: Right on. All right, let me um, shift gears here. I also want to get Fern in here, too. We've been yakking, and she hasn't been able to jump in. I want you to blow everybody's mind. I want you to tell us, what is Dangerous D do when he's home alone, when you're not breathing fire or stapling your ball sack to your leg? What do you do that would blow our mind to relax? Like, are you in a bubble bath, or reading fucking romance novels? Are you collecting Faberge eggs? Tell us something totally not Dangerous D that I know. you do. No one would expect.
3: Man, that's a hard one. Um, I I really eat, live, breathe, and sleep like Dangerous D is like not like a character. I mean, I I I'll be honest with you. I I love. I'm a, a big movie buff. I love sitting down, smoking a doobie, and watching a good movie. But really, like on my days off, uh, I, I'm. I, I tattoo also, but um, I don't tattoo. out a shop, but on my days off, I tattoo myself. I've been working on an entire chest piece and stomach piece. Holy shit! So uh, you know, have a have a little drink, and I'll sit in the room, my little studio, for a couple hours and and tattoo. I'm still a, a fan of music, so I have my drum set up. I'll bang on some drums. But the 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 probably the the most thing that's not that you wouldn't think I would do. Um, I love I I, I I hang out with my animals and shit and and grill a lot, like cook, but. I uh I fuck around with clay. I sit down and make little characters like of my friends, like little head characters.
1: Perfect. Yeah, that's what I was I, looking for.
3: You know what I mean? Like little fucking weird clay miniature. And I, I don't show them. I just do it to like make fun of them, you know what I mean? Things like that. And um I, I mean really though, my life is uh it's very rare that I even have downtime. Like I'm like I'm taking a shit and I'm emailing and you know making phone calls and stuff. It's very, very rare that I have downtime. So when I do, I usually lean, like I said, towards my the stuff I love. I love to read comic books. I love doing tattooing. I love to play music. And uh, I love hanging out with my fiancé and just you know watching movies and eating and getting stupid.
1: Hey, Fern, so that sounds like us, right? We never have a second. I told D today, even if I'm playing a video game, I'm running ten fucking programs in my mind of what I'm going to do with Williams Page and what we're going to get for Tin Candid for the next two weeks. We It, it never stops.
3: Yeah, and that that's really and recently it's been so it's it's been even harder. Even my fiance has been teasing me about it. We'd sit down and, like I said, we would watch it. We'd do a movie marathon if I was off and wasn't working. You know, on a Monday night. Now I, I can't even sit down and get through a full movie because, like you said, my my head's firing on all cylinders. I have so many projects going on. I'm in the process right now of pitching a, rea- a reality show, and I mean it's just like a million things going on. So there's not much downtime. So, like I said, but uh, you know. Other than when I'm performing and doing tattooing crazy stuff like that, I'm a pretty normal dude. You know what I mean? I love to skateboard to the fucking beach and uh, hang out with my animals and and do do like you know. I guess I guess that's normal stuff, right? <laughs> I don't. I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
1: I mean that sounds pretty normal. I mean, like I said, I just wanted to kind of blow. I wanted to tear away the image of dangerous D. And just be like, you know, I'm Dangerous D, but I also play with my animals and make little clay figures. And that, I think that it makes you more accessible because just like you said, you're afraid of heights and snakes. That actually humanizes you to know that Fonzie, as I said earlier, is afraid of liver. That he's not just 100% like this gilded god that's untouchable.
3: Right, right. Yeah. No. And I
1: think that's important.
3: Ab- oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I don't, I don't like to not necessarily put myself on a pedestal or anything or – you know, say that I'm like, uh, because I do pain stuff that I'm tougher than anybody or more of, you know, more manly and just like this hardcore guy. I'm like a a big soft fucking teddy bear. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm an emotional guy too. And, uh, you know, I wear that on my sleeve. But like I said, it's kind of like, and I hate to compare myself to professional athletes, especially like MMA guys or like boxers or football players. But really what it comes down to, it's like, if you know a little bit about anatomy, and you're mentally tough, You'd be shocked at what the body can do and how physically tough you can do. And really what it comes down to is the initial stunts and doing stuff, it sucks, it hurts, and it's bad. The three, four days afterwards where you're trying to heal from that shit where you can't even sit on the toilet or you can't bend over to tie your shoes, that's the shit that fucking sucks. And does it men- get
1: easier? And does your threshold get to be more of a threshold for pain? Or is it the same threshold and you just learn tricks to deal with it?
3: It's You know what? It's the same thing. And unfortunately, the shit that I do, there's no – like easy way out or easy way around it. Like last night, I just did a, a show in LA. It was a private gig for, um, at this, this high end hotel called Petite. There's all these celebrities there and all this stuff. And I was doing the staple bit. And basically the way I do it is the higher the bill, the more sensitive the place. So right. we bucks, you know, to the sack. So long story short, because of the type of event it was, I wasn't dropping pants, but I, I'm a carney, So I wasn't going to pass up a hundred bucks. So I was letting them staple the hundred dollars to the top of my head. So I got like right in the dome about five or six times real kind of close to where it was. I woke up this morning with like a a migraine, but a golf ball sized lump, like I mean, like a horn, like in the top of my head. And I can't like every time I was bending down, my whole head throbbed and, you know, I'm icing it and doing whatever. And anybody else I know that did that would have went to a hospital. They would have got stitches. You know what I mean? It would have been this whole thing with me. I, I'm able to for whatever fucking reason maybe it's good luck and good genes that I'm running on I don't know but I'm able to mentally kind of deal with that and I'm, I'm always in pain I'm always in some kind of banged up or broken something or bruised I just deal with it and, and sounds trump. like Mick Foley. Yeah, you know what? It's funny because it, that was what gave me the, the idea to say, you know what? I could probably do this shit because I, I was really big into wrestling. I did backyard wrestling as a kid. I got two black belts. I used to fight full contact fighting. I did MMA cage fighting before the first UFC ever existed. So I was always and even as a kid, I was jumping off of stuff and banging my head through stuff. So I was always able to deal with pain. I had a high tolerance. But once I realized, hey, you can do this and make your friends laugh took it to another level. Then when I realized, Hey, you could do this, make your friends laugh and fucking get paid for it. That's a, uh, you know what I mean? It makes the the bruises in my head a little better when, you know, I made $800 in what, 10 seconds, you know what I mean? So that, <laughs> it kind of counteracts the, the pain a little bit, but you can't do it forever. So now, you know, while I'm young and I'm, I'm in good shape and doing my thing, I'll go fucking ham and shit. Like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll put my head through a brick wall. if Somebody will pay me.
1: Fern, can you um, handle pain pretty well? I mean, women give birth, so I can't even fucking imagine that. Do you think you could do what Dangerous D does?
2: I mean, I don't know if I could go that far. I did have one of my four children without even a fucking Tylenol, so I'm pretty sure my pain threshold is not too bad, but I don't know about inflicting it on myself. Like, I'm scared of a paper cut. Every time I use an industrial stapler like I did last summer to fix my back porch and the screen and everything, I flinch when I staple it. And I know, I have no body parts near it. I can't imagine doing it on purpose. But Nick sent me a great article, um, and it was an interview with you, and you talked about having like five concussions within a year, I believe if I'm correct. And what I want to know is, like, with the concussions that you have and the injuries that you have, like... What is the residual effect of that? Like, do you have any residual effect from those concussions like memory loss or headaches or like, do you just get crabby one day for no reason because like head injury or is that just, Hey, it's there and it's gone. And I just got to be a little more careful next time.
3: No, you know what? Recently, recently there's been, been some effects with it. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned memory loss recently and my fiance has been like killing me about it. Me and her have been together about five years. When we first met, I was still sharp as a tack. This past year, my my short term memory has been shot. Uh, you know, we'll be heading to a, an event or a club. I'm like, hey, you know, we're performing here tonight. You want to go with me? She's. I was like, oh, I've never been to the club. It should be fun. She was like, babe, you performed there like four months ago. I'm like, what are you talking about? No. And then we show up, and I'm like, oh shit, I did perform here. <laughs> so when I that's how I found out about the concussions and what was going on. I, and I spoke to a doctor, and basically every doctor I've spoken to t- tells me that I'm, I'm fucking nuts and I need to stop. The two major issues I had was. Doing the the human hourglass, the zip tie thing oh with the oh
1: god, that is insane.
3: I uh, I have the world record for the man man with the most constricted waist, and I've constricted it to about three inches, three and a half inches in diameter. And when I was setting the world record, oh my god! Yeah, when I was setting it, I actually ruptured my spleen. I didn't oh. realize I was laid out, and then I realized it. I was on medication. I didn't do it for a while. It kind of healed up, but every once in a while, I get like a gnarly like crazy fucking pain in my belly that's like uh, you know you can't even get out of bed that happens every once in a while but I watch what I eat and what I'm doing and, and I stretch and I kind of I have a little routine to keep my myself in shape so that's been okay but the uh, the head injuries I've slowed down a little because I've done like put a center block on the top of my head and then I have a partner of mine smash it with a sledgehammer I break yardsticks over my head like I have a head like a brick so you know, I would, I would smash stuff over, over it all the time. And then when I realized I was giving myself concussions, I spoke to a doctor. He basically said, look, you, you have more concussion. Like, if you were uh, playing for the NFL, they would have let you go. You'd have been fired. <laughs> oh. you know? and You're
2: you like can, Wes Walker or Rob Gronkowski, man.
3: Like, I mean, seriously. I mean, Muhammad Ali. Like, they're telling me in another year I'm going to yeah. be drunk, drunk, drooling on myself, and like half fucking retarded. So I need to, like, kind of watch that. But, again, you know what I mean? With me, it's not like I feel the effects all day. And every day, I... You know what I mean? I'm good at blocking that shit out. It's a
1: slow burn.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I want to backtrack real quick and talk about world records because I am a nut when it comes to Guinea's Book of World Records. I think there's something so all-American about Ribley's and world records and our fascination with the bizarre. When you break these world records, do you call these guys and say, "Hey, we're about to do the biggest sideshow ever recorded"? Or do they seek you out? And when somebody breaks your record, do they tell you? They go, "Hey, Darren, I hate to tell you, somebody constricted her waist to two inches." What's your contact
3: with them? Um, it works. It works a couple different ways. Typically, after you build a rapport with them, and I've done a lot of stuff with, and there, and Guinness is like the you know the the high and almighty, but there's multiple different record companies out there that are, uh, you know, well-known and world-renowned and they're legit. Um, but once you build a rapport with them, sometimes they'll reach out to you. And, but ultimately the way it works and the way I've done it is I'll film and document everything hundred percent legit, making sure there's no edits involved, nothing that could be a facade, film everything, put a little package together and then pitch it to them and say, Hey, look, this is what we did. Then they'll review it and say, you know what? This either qualifies or it doesn't. If it qualifies, you get a certificate. Boom! You you know you, they don't pay you or anything. You you know you just get a certificate and this is what it is, and they put you in the books. When somebody beats your record, they don't actually tell you. They don't send you a letter. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, which is but and actually that that's happened to me a few times. And the fucked up thing is some of the records that might have been broken were guys that I taught. That I brought up under me taught them how to do Whoa. shit. They went out and broke them. So you know, but the it, student
1: uh, has surpassed the master,
3: right? Which is cool, and it keeps it going. And and the stuff that I was concerned about, which was the staple record and the zip tie record. People have tried it and no one's really even come close, you know, so I feel like those are my those are, you know, eventually somebody will. But But I still think
1: it's bullshit. They don't tell you to give you a chance to kind of win that record back. It seems weird that they wouldn't keep you in a loop.
3: Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of like the way of the world, you know, because if there's too many cooks in the kitchen and say Guinness has, you know, 15 different representatives all dealing with certain things, if a guy, you know, in Australia beats one of my records. By the time it trickles down to me, they already have that. That guy's already posting about it and it's all over social media and people know about it before they can send you a or you know, or an email type of thing. But in and that's regular records in the world of sideshow, it's like a really weird, it's such a a fucked up industry and, and scene with the the community. And typically the way things work, if you do anything that somebody else is known for doing. You're supposed to contact that person and ask permission. And if you don't get verbal permission to do those stunts, you're not allowed to do them. And I've blacklisted cats for ripping me off and doing stuff like that. But now it's gotten to the point where, and not again to like, you know, stroke my own dick or anything, but I've gotten so big and so, you know, toured all over the world and stuff that now the shit that I do, young upcomers are copying my acts and doing them. And it's like a flattering thing. Years ago, I got pissed at it. Now I'm like, Obviously, I'm doing something right if someone's copying my well, shit.
1: Well, imitation is the most sincere um, form of flattery,
3: right? Right, right, exactly. And I feel, like I said, the, the human hourglass thing and the, the staples, I don't think there's anybody while I'm alive that's going to fucking touch those records. No, no man on this planet, even if they're, you know... And cause the way they do it is like, you'd be like an Ethiopian and have a waist where your circumference of your waist is already four inches. The way they do it is they measure the, your, your, your waistline and then what you constrict it to and they subtract. So basically I wear like a 34 size pants constricting that down to three and a half inches would mean I would wear like a negative 32 pants. Holy
1: fuck. That's insane. There's
3: nobody that's going to be able to go from that huge range and that difference and no one's touched it. People have tried chicks have tried it. It just hasn't worked. You know, well, I, I- want
1: to talk about let's let me jump in real quick because we're running out of time. I want to talk about your web series, but before we do that, because you had touched on something that's interesting to me in your community, are you cats all very competitive with each other, trying to outdo each other, or are all the different acts fairly get along well, supportive of each other, or is it kind of a cutthroat? Well, I'm going to outstunt you this time. I'm going to yeah. grow my sideshow bigger than
3: yours. One hundred percent. And it's I'll be honest with you. I do a lot of facets in the entertainment business. I've been in music videos. I've been on TV shows. I've been on movies. I've done a lot of stuff. The sideshow business is like the most cutthroat, nasty, disgusting, dirty, carny shit that you could ever think of it. it, Everyone to your face loves you. And guys that I've hired and taught how to do stuff have turned around and ripped my act and done stuff. But really, and I tell people this all the time. People in sideshow, and I'm friendly with a lot of them, and I have to be, I hire and run uh, like a 100 of them. At the end of the day, sideshow people are the last people I'm, re- I'm looking to impress. Those are the last fucking guys that are coming to my shows, buying merch, the last people supporting me. If I do something that they wish they could have done, they fucking talk all kinds of shit on the internet and blow stuff up. It really is like, um, it's, it's every fucking man for himself. you know.
1: Wow, and- that's fucking sad.
3: Yeah, it really it's it's so bad that that's like the first every time you run into somebody that like, you know, like a troop from like a different area and you're like, oh, do you know this person, this person, this person? It's like, yeah, well, fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. Fuck that guy. And I've I've really stepped away from that and washed my hands with that. I don't have beef or issues with anyone or or any issue, because like I said, if my game is tight and I'm doing what I need to do, no one's a threat. But there's always a threat being in the area of competition and contracts. So if I'm trying to get on Ozfest and Joe Schmo down the street's trying to get on Ozfest, hell yeah, I'm gonna be that Carney and I'm gonna knuckle grind and do what I need to do to make sure I get that money and they don't. You know, it's a we're we're carnies, man. We I came from the midway, you know, so that's the way you gotta do it.
1: Yeah, I don't think people understand this, and I always make this point with every guest we have, whatever genre they're in, because I used to have a production company back in Maryland, Little Guy Productions. I'd throw festivals, do something down at Wilmers Park. There's so many moving parts. There's so much of a marketing end to it. I don't think people understand that you're not just some fucking asshole up on stage sticking his tongue in a mousetrap. There is a thousand different facets to pull this off and to pull it off and make it look easy.
3: Right. And I think I do have a one-up and thankfully to my parents for pushing me in that route. And I I also, I'm not just like an idiot that gets on stage and does dumb shit. I have a college degree. I graduated with a 4.0 from the University of Baltimore with a business degree. So I write all my own contracts. I'm my own fucking lawyer. I handle the business aspect better than I do the hitting the ground running. So that allows for me to put me in a position where I don't have to busk on the streets in Venice anymore. I can travel all over the world and get put up and do large corporate events and make a living doing this. I don't punch a clock anywhere else. I work for myself. I make my own schedules and do what I want to do. And it's 10 years of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to get to that point. But if you're smart, you fucking hustle and you do what you need to do. And when you have to step on a neck, when you have to step on a neck, you can, uh, you can make a comfortable living doing this.
1: Yeah, and I think people need to understand that. All right, let's finish up with this. I want to talk about your web series, Living Dangerously. Uh, Fern, I know I sent you over um, the, his web page and the web series itself. Give me your impressions on it, Fern, as an outside viewer.
2: Well, uh, first of all, if you don't have an opportunity to see Dangerous D Live, then you absolutely have got to check out com and the web series Living Dangerously because – It is insane. Like you can live vicariously through doing these things but not actually have to do them, but I guarantee you it will make you cringe and go, oh my God, you know, of all the things that I saw, I could not get through the booger episode. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even do it like the whole booger thing. Like I was just, and you know, I've had four kids. I've seen it all, but man, that book. Yeah, I did thing, have I to like, oh.
1: his show when I was eating lunch. I was like, that I was going to watch this while I'm eating lunch. That was
2: insane. But I mean, the stapling and, and the, the, the waist cinching and the tennis racket, like that is all amazing. By the way, I love your DRI belt buckle. Um, uh, but the, the, whole, the one thing that really got me was just the diversity, like the backyard fire I just posted on Facebook because, first of all, I'm a pyro, so that was awesome. Um, but I'm an optician, and when I watched One Big Bite and your contacts popped out, dude, I have inserted and removed contacts from people. I have fixed rolled contacts. I have had to drag them out of people's eyes, and I have never in my life... Seeing someone pop a contact by coughing, I was like, "My God, that is Im- that had to have been painful." If you're going to pop a contact that way, that was insane. Yeah. But yeah, it, the whole web series is crazy because of the diversity. You do get to see some of the, you know, behind the curtain back scenes, like trying stuff out, you know, with the yardstick and figuring out exactly what you were going to do with that. That was like, oh my God, dropping a bowling ball and cracking a tile, like. It was insane it's been
1: to watch. four or five years since the last episode of that. Darren, why has it been so long? And what do you have in store for season two?
3: Yeah, well, the, the reason why I even did that was it kind of started where when I first got into sideshow, I was working with a good buddy of mine, Chris Garbro, who got me started. And I kind of started as, as his hype man. And he basically said to me, look, if you want to do this and do it real, you got to come up with your own acts and we need to figure out what you can do. So I didn't want to just spin the dial and do everything everybody else was doing, like sword swallowing, fire eating, human blockhead, the regular shit. I wanted brand new stuff. So a lot of this was me filming on my own, trying to figure stuff out. And then a lot of it was people just sending me footage from shows and stuff that I had tried to figure out the yardstick in my basement. And then they send me footage of me doing it on stage. So I had all this footage and I was like, you know, I should just release this stuff and see what people think. So I had all that footage. I released everything and did it with no intentions for it to like, blow up or, you know, and, uh, and it was, we got a great response. And I actually released with, um, about five or six videos that were too gnarly, like dicks and butts and tits and blood and stuff that I didn't put on the internet. And I pressed it on a DVD and sold the DVD inclusively. And, um, the first year that we released it, I sold 3000 copies on my own. So it built to a point where I was like, holy shit, this is insane. Then what happened was roughly about five years ago, it's when I moved from Baltimore to LA when I moved out here, I came out here with like a book bag of my gear and a hundred bucks. I didn't have a video camera. I didn't even have a cell phone. I had absolutely no way to film anything, to document anything, to really get rolling. And now it's gotten to the point where I'm fully equipped and set up to do the things I want to do. And so much stuff has changed since then. And the the connections and the stunts that I do that now it's it's time for season two to where it's kind of like that other stuff was more, hey, we caught this like randomly. Now I really want to get to the nitty-gritty and show you.
1: Ah, so season one was like your origin story.
3: Yeah, right, and show you literally the, the failed stunt attempts and the shit that we're doing now and the stuff that's going on with the connections we have, you know, a nice camera and the stuff that we're doing and really pushing the envelope, where I have footage now that I've been compiling where a couple buddies of mine, we we had, and I'm not going to say exactly what, but we had some failed feed attempts where we, uh, we had them rush to the emergency room and they almost didn't make it out. So it's gotten to the point where, because I'm still performing and still doing it and coming up with new shit, I'm gonna document it and and drop it again. Because a lot of people, you know, my hardcore niche fans have been asking about it. So it's been a little while, but yeah, it's time to uh, it's time to to drop a new a new season and uh, let people know what's going on.
1: Could not agree more. It is absolutely time to drop a new season. All right, let's end with this. Um, I'm I, I was fascinated to find out that you actually performed for Doctor Phil's private birthday party. I'm looking at you performing for the gathering of the juggalos, for Ozfet, Knotfest, all these different burlesque. And it makes me wonder what is the difference? Is there a huge difference in audience when you perform, let's say, burlesque against Knotfest? And how do you kind of pivot to navigate those audiences? Or are all the audiences kind of the same in their reactions?
3: You know what? No. It's, uh, it's, it literally is completely different. Like um, you do like a big biker event. Where it's all these tough guys and these biker guys and they're snarling at you and they're like, oh, you know, you take out the animal trap. They're like, ah, stick your dick in it. I've I've done that. <laughs> you know, they do it. And then I finish my set and I jump off stage and I'm getting stapled and they're like, holy shit, this guy's fucking nuts and other times i've done so
1: nuts rob zombie almost kicked you off his fucking tour because you were bleeding all over his bus
3: yeah i know right that was it, it was insane i and i was with i was hanging out with tommy lee tommy lee was the one that was stapling me and shit and uh he brought me over to rob and he was like oh man look at this guy he's fucking crazy you should staple him he's like yeah he keeps bleeding all over the, this tour bus he's fucking out of here you know and the dr phil thing was funny because it was uh it was a huge party i think he spent like five million dollars renting this stuff out and all the people, like, I mean, it was insane. It wow, was all, that's an ego. One, Yeah, one floor was like Alice well, in Wonderland. One was like a twisted circus. So we do this huge show, and it was like super gnarly. I mean, we did a, a thing where a buddy of mine puts a, a hook through his nose and out his mouth, attach it to chains along my ear, and we tug a war. Oh, Broken fast. And uh, Dr. Phil and his wife were standing in the back watching this fucking thing. And we finish, and I, I walk over to him to get a photo and thank him. And I walk over, and I'm like, you know, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And, you know, did you enjoy the show? He's like, I'll be honest with you. I only was able to watch for five minutes. I had to leave. <laughs> I'm
1: surprised he didn't try to put you on the couch.
3: You know what? I think he was so head spun as to what was going on. He didn't even know how to compute it. Like, you <laughs> know, he was looking at us like these crazy counterculture kids that they found, like, on the street or something, you know. But the How did not audience- get hired to do so? Because
1: when I read that, I was like, this doesn't make – Dr. Phil wanted to have a side Like, it just didn't even – it didn't compute with me how you even ended up
3: there. And you know what it comes down to? It really is one of those things being out here and being in the industry and it's why I moved out here and I've done a lot of stuff. And it's kind of one of those things where everywhere I go now, like I, I go to get my car worked on. Some guy a mechanic in the shop is like, Oh shit, are you dangerous? D, I saw you at such and such. So it it's Are they
1: asking if they can like stick needles in your eyes and break shit over
3: your head? Always. Oh, everywhere yeah, because
1: Chuck Norris was like, dude, I can't go out. Everybody always wants to fight me because my reputation of being like this super badass. And it's got to be grueling to go out. And everybody's like, oh, Dangerous D, why don't you like do stick something. these needles yeah.
3: in your tongue? Exactly. Yeah, you always have to be on. And I always like I always carry a bag of shit with me in my car, too, because like like I said, I'll show up at the beach and people are like, oh, shit. And I'm like, all right, I got to do something. Let me juggle some fucking knives or something. You know, so it, it does in the you have to be adaptable. I can do stuff where it's little kids parties, you know, we're painting faces and juggling for little kids all the way to triple x rated bachelorette parties where we're shooting lollipops out of our dick holes. I mean, we, we get fricking bananas, you know, so you have to be able to adapt to it. And at the end <laughs> of the day, people are going to, you know, being in LA, if you're a heavy hitter or you're putting on a large corporate event and you Google, who's the, who's the sideshow guy that I need to get a hold of for a circus. I'm that guy, you know? Wow.
1: Um, Fern, amazing stuff, right? I mean, it's such, like I said, I've always had a fascination with vaudeville, burlesque, all that stuff. I went down the rabbit hole, and I just couldn't imagine not even being able to get my oil changed without somebody being like, hey, can I slap you with this dead fish I found on the side of the fucking road?
3: Literally, yeah. It's it's gotten absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> yeah.
2: I hope you, first of all, I hope you started this show with a nice shot of tuna juice because you are talking to tuna fish sandwich, Nick. <laughs> um, he's he's been called, uh, he calls himself a liberal tuna fish. No, I call myself a tuna
1: fish liberal, because I'm like, I'm beyond a liberal. I'm a, right. I'm a fucking tuna fish liberal sandwich with extra little right. sauce. <laughs> Fuck but you. Yeah,
2: you know, I mean, going down that rabbit hole is totally entertaining, and the cringe factor is there, and I totally get it, because, you know, a, adrenaline junkie is, I mean, it's a cool thing, but... I was I was reading that article and I was listening, you know, I was thinking in my head this whole Dr. Phil thing. I'm like, you know, that doesn't surprise me because some of the more regimented uh, people in their daily lives behind closed doors are a little more freaky, you the know. They my favorite be.
1: band is Insane cloud Posse.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, that was great. But then I read about being molested by Andy Dick, so I have to uh, I have to know was it was it more entertaining to trip Dr. Phil out? Or was it more entertaining to be molested by Andy Dick? Because that was a pretty incredible story. That was insane.
3: Yeah, that one actually caught me off guard. That was like my first biggest event that I was doing when I moved to L.A. I was, uh, I was touring with Rob Zombie. And they did like a media night where they had celebrities come out. And you don't really know this stuff coming from the East Coast or Baltimore and not being out here. But Andy Dick is a hilarious dude. But he is like, I don't know how many cases he's caught for sexual harassment. And like, oh, I mean, he's just like wild. And uh, he just, we were hanging out and he it just constantly groping and this and that. And he wanted me to leave with him and do, and like, I couldn't dodge him. Like I would kind of go off to a different stage and do my thing and he'd show up and he was drunk and it was just like a mess. So I kind of played it off like, you know, comical and, and I, I don't get offended easily or, or I don't, you know, pull it or whatever. So I played along with him and I was right. teasing and stuff, you know, and that whole deal. But the, the thing was, it was kind of like uh, everybody else that was on tour, all the, the guy's working it. And even, like I said, like Kat Von D was there, Tommy Lee, and there was a couple other people that we were hanging with. They were just teasing me. And they're like, oh, they're like D's going home with Dick. D's going home with Dick tonight. Watch, watch. He doesn't He doesn't know. He's going to try to get himself in this, you know, this whole Hollywood scene. He's going to. So then, like I said, afterwards, we're hanging out on the bus and we're partying and everything. And it's like, you know, I'm like the last guy up. And there's like three of us partying. And there's a, a rap at the, the the trailer door. And I open the door. It's him and like four girls. He's like, you ready to go? I'm like, go where? He's like, we're going. We're going to my place for an after party. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like, no. Wow. You didn't go with Andy
1: Dick? Oh my God, dude. I would have fucking, I would have totally done that just for the story.
3: Well, you know what? If we weren't ready to pack up and take off, I would have. I guarantee you. Gotcha. Yeah, I probably would have. But yeah, it was one of those things where it was just like, you know what I mean? He was so, like, no filter. He didn't give a shit at all. Like, he, he was, like, I have my, my nipples are pierced. Every time he walked by me, he would, like, pinch them and flick them. You know what I mean? I'm, like, in the middle of doing a show. I'm like, <laughs> 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 kill this
1: guy, you know? But he was. Yeah, he, Andy I, Dick is off the fucking rails, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, he's he's botso, man. He's freaking nuts. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, man.
1: All righty. Well, I got to thank you for spending an hour
3: with us, Darren. It has been enlightening and sometimes scary. Absolutely. I really appreciate you guys having me on, man. It was really cool, and I'm glad that you guys did what we're doing, and uh, we'll have to see. Once we start shooting this next web series, maybe we'll have to uh, come out and come in person, and we'll film you guys and get you involved.
1: Yeah, you know, oh, I've yeah. been trying to put together this series where I travel around called The Misadventures of Saucy, which is my nickname, where I go around and have people I've had on the show teach me to do what they do. So maybe I would come out with you, and you would teach me like how to stick my tongue on a mousetrap. And I've I have, I've had no. trouble getting it started just because of time constraints, but I really would like to go out and do something crazy like that.
3: That would be awesome. I'd be all about it. I'll show you anything you want to know, and I'll show you a few things that you don't want to see. Yeah, I can <laughs> bet on that.
1: All right, tell everybody where we can find you on the interwebs and what you have coming up this
3: summer of note. All right. So uh On all social media, my handle is at Darren Malfi. It's at D-A-R-I-N-M-A-L-F-I. But you can uh, find everything at DarrenMalfi.com. There's links to everything, all the YouTube stuff, all the social media, and then some rarity stuff that's up there too. Um, And uh, feel free to to, to hit me up. Give me a message if you heard the show and you dig it. Get a hold of me and let's chat. We'll talk. We'll get you out to a live show and, uh, and see it and um and now we're just coming into season so we're going to be doing a lot of big things coming up we uh like i said we have something in uh in legend valley we're going to be doing um lost lands in a, in a ohio soon but um we have a few other things here locally too in uh, in la i do um through the the month of october through haunt season i do a thing called dark harbor where it's at the queen mary in long beach it'll be crazy and um scattered in between we're going to be uh starting probably next month we're going to start shooting full on for living dangerously too and um, still working on, you know, pitching this reality show. Looking so, forward to that. Definitely. Yeah, just keep an eye. Yeah, keep an eye on my uh, on my website, on my dates, and uh, when I'm touring and coming through your city, hit me the fuck up. And if you tell me that you heard me say, look at my dates from this show, whoever emails me that, you get in the show for free on my guest list, and you can drink and eat and party with me all night. Now that's a fucking nice. deal.
1: Um, we're gonna play some Hollywood Undead on our way yes. out the door here. I couldn't tell. Was it you rapping because everybody had masks on, or were you just making a cameo in there? What was your involvement in that video?
3: Yeah, I was. uh, I did the basically. I did a couple different things. I didn't do any rapping, but I did um the fire breathing stuff. If you see in the very beginning when it kicks off, there's a I have a little mask on, but I'm spitting fire and eating fire. And then uh, I'm one of the crazy freaks that's jumping around on stage with them in the background.
1: Very cool. All right. We are going to get out of here. Darren, thank you again for calling in today. And we are going to play some Hollywood Undead. And we're going to be back, what, in two weeks with Christine McCarthy. Right, D? Awesome.
0: That is correct.
3: All righty, (laughs) guys. Pointing at you and no ain't a good shot here. Come for more. Getting hot, so I play in the In a town made wicked, made from these wicked things. See the dead on the cover of a magazine. See my smile that was born from a Better die, cause it's war on I. I need you. you
2: Honey, what were you doing in there?